from the time that they pronounced me dead was a good 45 minutes. They cut my clothes and then they paddled my heart because my heart had stopped. And I could see people screaming and crying, but I didn't realize that was actually my physical body because I was somewhere else. The only thing that I could feel, if you could imagine absolute love and peace, there wasn't anything else to be felt. I was greeted by people I had known in the past. I'm back home again. Incredibly safe and felt at home. Welcome to Round Trip Death, everybody. And we have the special honor all the way from Belgium. We're talking to Patrick today. Good morning and good evening to you. How are you? Pretty good. Good evening and uh, good morning to you. Did you tell me you live in a castle? Yes. Uh, so it was a castle at one point or like a palace. Uh, castles here are not fortresses like what you see in Germany. They're like big estates. There's two still in the town that I have that are active castles, big, uh, you know, nobility estates. The interesting story was uh, he's actually, actually a pretty famous doctor, very famous for ornithology. And he also did uh, like family uh, lines in uh, the Congo, basically mapped out like the, the royal family lines and everything else. Took part in World War One. And then in World War II, he was still a doctor. He was part of the uh, underground resistance smuggling uh, Allied pilots that got shot down or Allied air crew back across the channel. And he was caught by the Nazis. And eventually he was executed in uh, Berlin. But yeah, so he, he did a lot of good stuff for the, you know, for the Allied war effort. Wow. That is awesome. Well, today we're talking about near-death experiences. And yours happened not that long ago. No, nope, uh, about a year and a half ago now at this point. And awfully traumatic because this is related to food poisoning. In fact, speaking of trauma, I know your your wife does not like to relive this. Before we get into the whole story, do you mind sharing why it's so difficult to talk about? I, I had just retired from the Army. I, I work for a civilian job now. But I just retired from the Army, so that's, you know, 22, almost 23 years. So it's 22 and a half years total service. And uh, she's watching me uh, basically fade away, like, on the celebration we're supposed to have for the retirement. So, I mean, she's watching me, you know, go. I was gone uh, twice that night, you know, medically dead, not completely dead. But, you know, I guess, uh, was it cardio, cardio death? If your heart stops, that's dead enough for me. Uh, It sucks when you can feel it, too. It's really terrible when you can feel it. Okay, let's go back about a year and a half ago. Yep. You came across some bad oysters and didn't know it. What was going on? You were out to eat, and what happened? Yeah, we we, we ate, you know, nothing unusual. It was a pretty, you know, decent night. And we get back to uh, the the beach house that we were staying at. You know, everybody goes to bed. And this was in Florida, correct? Uh, South Carolina. South Carolina, okay. Yeah, Myrtle Beach area. And uh, I go to sleep, no problem. Probably about two to three hours later, I wake up with just this, it's really hard to describe. It's one of those pains where you just like, you know you're kind of in a bad position. Like, this is not, this is not good. And uh, I noticed that I couldn't move. I couldn't, you know, all my limbs were going tingly. And I just barely managed to flop over, nudge my wife enough and just blurt out, you know, poison 911. And uh, my wife, of course, she's waking up like, oh, my God. 
And at that point, that was the first time I went was I, I, as she described it, you know, did the curled up kicking cockroach type of thing. I had no control over this. I didn't know what was going on. I, I, I was lucid the entire time, but I knew I didn't have any control over anything on my body. At that point, I couldn't feel anything. Everything felt like it was on fire. And uh, she said, I like tensed up and all of a sudden I just dropped. And uh, she said, the eyes went glassy. Uh, people's completely gone, everything. And I remember during that time, it roughly coincided with, you know, everything's hurting and all of a sudden it just felt like I dropped away. It was a weird dropping feeling. And then there was this place that my grandpa, you know, he, he lived in uh, Charleston when I was a kid. And uh, they were still developing it back in the 80s. And there was a pond across the street. And I remember I'm there. I'm looking out, like whenever I drop, I, I'm looking out across that pond. And I don't know what it is. It has no significance to me. I just remember I was there. And it was almost like a uh, like a trip through, like, a, you know, going going back through your life. Like they say, your life flashes before your eyes. There were some things that just, they had no real significance. But I remember I was there looking across. I remember we were fishing. And then uh, after that, it was, it was, everything was in gray tones. It was very familiar. So it's really hard to describe. It's kind of like a club of some type. I know it sounds weird, but uh, you've, got, you've got those rope barriers. You mean like the velvet kind? Yep. Um, that was weird, but my family members that have been dead for a while were behind it and they're yelling at me and I, I'm all of a sudden back to being a kid. Like I'm a little kid and I'm running towards those rope barriers and somebody, I guess like, like he equated it to a bouncer is like closing the rope barrier off and tell, you know, pushing me back and you hear, uh, I'm yelling, no, no, go back, go back, go like that. I'm trying to go forward, but then the, they keep yelling, go back, go back. Somebody, I don't know who it was, um, a voice I'd never heard before was like, go back. It's not your time. Yeah, it was just a weird, it was a voice out of nowhere. Go back. It's not your time. All right, slow down. I want to totally pick this apart a little bit. So you you mentioned something about, the, I think you used the term dropping. You felt like you were dropping. Explain that. Yeah. So it was like my vision was falling away. Everything was falling away. Like the world was falling away. Not like it, not like going down outward per se hell or anything like that it wasn't as that it was just like like all of a sudden you notice the room is unnaturally or the roof is unnaturally high everything's unnaturally far away everything just drops did you feel any kind of sensation of maybe you were leaving your body or more like a dream or what else uh so i do remember like i said depth my depth perception got to where it was like, you know, the room was much larger, much higher, the roof was much higher as I'm looking at it. And uh, it was a drop, like a falling feeling. Okay, that's very unusual. That's interesting. And everything was not hurting. That's the that's thing is that I couldn't feel the hurt anymore. Uh, the only thing I felt was the cold in my chest. That was a, before the paramedics got there. My heart stopped the first time. Okay. So I felt, I felt that, but it was, it was, it faded away. And it was a drop. Like I said, like the, the, that your depth perception where, you know, everything seems further and further away, a dropping feeling. She said at that point I was, uh, twitching. Like my body was just twitching. And you said you saw relatives. Yeah. Tell me about that. Do you, do you know about how many and who they were? Uh, definitely saw my grandmother, my grandfather, uh, one of my uncles that passed a couple of years ago, a few others. I wasn't sure who they were, but they felt familiar. 
and it wasn't you couldn't really see them. They said everything's in gray tones, so you just kind of feel who they are. Um, they're very familiar, but they're behind this like velvet rope barrier uh, type of thing, telling me, uh, you know, no, go back, go back, like don't go this way, go back. And as I'm running up towards towards the ropes, uh, almost like a bouncer, you know, somebody just closes off the, you know, the little rope barrier and is, you know, basically like, you know, putting their hand up, like, don't go, don't go. And uh, it's all very confusing. Keep in mind that uh, I'm, I'm a zero ones guy. I'm a RF engineer. So, I, you know, I like zeros and ones. I like things that like it either makes sense or it doesn't, you know, and I couldn't explain any of it. But, you know, you can feel the relatives, but you can't really see anything. Everything's in gray town for some reason, or at least it was for me. After I fell away, everything went to gray towns. And uh, it was like kind of like being outside in a full moon where it's cloudy, but there's still moonlight going through. Then you can kind of see shapes of people. Really hard to describe. Like I said, it's just kind of like different tones of gray, but it wasn't solid. They were, it's really hard to describe it. How are you feeling at this point? In other words, especially from the other, the beings that you are seeing there, are you feeling drawn towards them? Are you feeling fear or what, what do you think? I feel like I'm a kid. Um, you know, whenever you, you know, you got a little, like maybe one or two year old that's just learning how to walk and all of a sudden they run off on their parents and they go underneath, you know, say like the line at the grocery store or something like that running off. And there's people trying to tell you to, you know, go back. I felt like, a, like little again and I'm running. I remember I was running towards it and all of a sudden, like there were people out there that I didn't know. I didn't know who they were, but they were trying to keep me from going through too. All of a sudden, I just remember that voice just cut through everything and said, not your time, go back. And then after that, it was, follow me, focus on breathing. Then it was like, like inhale, exhale. Inhale, it was whatever, whoever the voice was, was coaching me on how to breathe. And it wasn't my wife. Uh, paramedics had not shown up yet. And uh, they had just woken up my, uh, my sister, her husband, and then my older daughter, who's, uh, who's an adult. Uh, they just woken them up to try to uh, basically try anything. And I didn't recognize any of their voices. This was a voice that was uh, coaching me on how to breathe. And that was that was something that was very calming. And I couldn't place if it was a man or a woman or something. But there was somebody coaching me on how to breathe. And I remember I came out of it finally. And I remember like taking that first breath and everything hurting. Like my my lungs hurt. You know, my limbs hurt, everything hurt, but I was back. Probably about a, I don't know, I didn't have any sense of time. I could hear everything. So the first thing that goes when you go is your sight, but your ears are still going. So you do hear people out there. And whenever the ears go, that's when I thought I was I was done. But I could hear everything. I could hear my sister freaking out. You know, I could hear my, my wife freaking out. My, I, I was back. My vision started coming back. And I remember that that first time it was like, oh, man, what happened? Like, what happened? Like, where did I go? Like, what time is it? You know, like you just felt disoriented. OK, so you're back, but that's not the end of the experience we're going to be talking about. Now. Oh, no, it hurt. Oh, everything was still hurting. Uh, my limbs are still twitching. OK, tell me what happened next. Paramedics took how long to get there? I don't know. OK, I don't know. I, I don't know how long I I know. When this whole thing was over, it was uh, sunrise, and we probably went to bed about like 10 or 11 or so. So it was an all-night thing. 
paramedics come in there. I was uh, loose enough, but I was, I was focusing on breathing so much because I was not breathing normally. I had to kind of make a compromise where the only thing I really had control over was my stomach for some reason. So I was pumping in my stomach and trying to breathe and they're asking me questions. And I'm like, I want to answer, but help me with like some type of breathing apparatus or help me breathe. I'm trying to communicate that to him. And then one guy, he was a, uh, he was a, uh, I forgot what he did in the military before he became a, a paramedic, but he started talking to me about, you know, just like, Hey, you know, what service were you in? You know, Hey, I was army. I'm trying to talk to the guy, but I'm like, I'm like, focus breathing. Like I'm trying to like, tell them, help me breathe. Like help me breathe. Like I said, I had no control of my limbs. The only thing I had control over was my stomach. Then I'm trying to basically force the breath. Finally, I remember them picking up the sheets and loading me onto the ambulance. I got in there. I just remember like I came to finally like 100%. And uh, then all of a sudden, I, everything turned red. And uh, I went again. There were people there again. or sh- I would say shaves. So they felt very familiar. Tell me, no, no, go back, go back. My eyes went, or my, my eyes went, this time I'm hooked up to a EKG so I can hear the, my heart stop. And I just, I just remember thinking to myself, you know, keeping it clean on here. Oh, heck no. That's it. Like, come on. Again, it was uh, the whole not your time, go back. And I just remember, like, they stopped the ambulance. The drivers got out to try to work on me. And I'm, I'm basically going into spasms at this point. I could feel my heart stop. Uh, your limbs go cold. It's like a sleep paralysis, but it starts in the chest and it works its way across. And all your limbs are basically fighting for air. I never want to experience pain like that again. But I left again. And uh, I just remember getting angry, basically turning around, so to speak, and running back. I just got real angry. Like, like this is not how it, like, this is not how it's supposed to go. This is not how it's supposed to end or something like that. I just remember getting extreme, extreme anger. I came to, I sat up, poor, poor paramedic. Uh, I was probably a kid of about maybe early 20s or so. I grabbed him by the, by the collar. I sat up. I was like, no. <laughs> and he's like, do we need to tie him down? I'm like, no, no, just go. Just uh, Finally, I was able to actually have control over myself, but it was just anger. So you're talking for the first time now, it sounds like. Well, I had been able to like blurt out words before because I didn't have the breath to try to uh, make a conversation. So it was simple words that I would blurt out to the, to the paramedics, like IV, breathing, focus, breathing. Like, like I'm trying to tell them like, hey, this is what I need. I need something to flush out. I think they finally figured it out because they did inject, uh, I want to say, I'm probably going to have this wrong. I think it was like potassium or something. I tried to flush it out in the IV line. But they injected it and it started feeling better after that. And then finally, with the anger, I, I, yeah, I was actually able to talk normally. But I just remember being angry and coming back, like sitting up, grabbing that poor kid. He looks, he looked like his eyes were wide because they were just prepping the shock paddles to bring me back. And I sat up, I grabbed, and I was like, no. It's like, do we need a time down? I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine. All right. A minute ago, you said everything went red. What do you mean by that? My vision went red. My vision, it just went red and then all of a sudden faded, like gone. Okay. This time it was quick. Now, the first time it was the dropping away feeling where everything was slowly slowing down and all of a sudden gone. This time it was quick. It was uh, 
I don't know if you've ever seen a spectrum analyzer before where, you know, you see sound waves and everything else they move through, but they kind of have a curve shape to them whenever the people talk. And it was like, it was like looking at a spectrum analyzer and the red lines going across. And then all of a sudden everything just kind of went dark red. And then all of a sudden I couldn't see anymore. Then vision went black again. And that's when I, that's when I left. And then I remember hearing everything. And I remember hearing the heart monitor go out again. It was the same situation where I'm, like I said, a bunch of shapes and they're like, no, not your time. Go back, go back. Finally, I, I remember like I turned around and I was like, all right, well, you know, this is not how it is. You know, I need to go. And I remember getting angry. And then after that, I like I told you, I sat up, grabbed that poor paramedic. I remember to look in his eyes. I, I got my vision back. The first thing I'm looking at is, you know, this is early 20s paramedic. Poor kid. Yeah. You know, I mean, to me, he's a kid. I, I'm in my 40s. Yeah. And did you say that they had shocked you or they were about to? No, they were, they were prepping the paddles. Okay. So they were getting them out. They were getting them ready. And I just remember, I don't know if I was angry at the paddles or like, I didn't want them to shock me. I just remember I grabbed them and going, no. And they're like, is he they're like, do we need to tie him down? I'm like, I'm fine. Get to the hospital. Just a quick break here to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Smart Labels. With the new year, I'm sure many of you are like me, with a resolution to get more organized. That's where Smart Labels comes in. With Smart Labels, you buy their QR code labels on Amazon, put a label on a storage bin, and then scan it with their app. Catalog everything that's going into the bin and let your future self know where everything is. When you need something next year, search for it in the app, and it'll tell you exactly where it is. Seriously, people describe this as organizing magic. Click over to Amazon right now and get your smart labels. Now, back to the interview. Now, have you had any medical training? Because you almost sound like you were giving them instruction and telling them specifically what you needed. I mean, I'm not a medic. You do get, you know, it's the basics, combat lifesaver training. You talk to a few medics over, you know, military career you know, our docs, our, uh, our combat medics are uh, some of the, you know, best people that, you know, the best infantryman's best friend, basically. Because that's a guy or woman that's going to bring you back to life, going to save your life. So you kind of learn a few tips and tricks. Plus, I have a few years of uh, combat as well. But what did you know about poisoning? The only thing I knew was that I needed to flush it out. And I remember, like I said, I keep thinking potassium for some reason. But I was like, there's there's some substance that helps flush it out, like with the IV line. I just remember, I don't know where I, I remember that from, but I'm like, I need something, something to flush this out. I can't, I, I, I could be totally wrong. If there's any doctors listening to this, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything about it. I just remember hearing about potassium at one point. Well, they can email Eric at roundtripdesk.com and give me the real medical side of this whole thing. Um, how many oysters did you eat and what was wrong with them? So it was the summer of 22 and uh, I guess they had a really bad uh, red tide problem in that part of South Carolina. I remember hearing about it, didn't really think much of it when I first got there. I don't know if it was that or maybe something else, something else I ingested. That's just a likely culprit because it's been responsible for deaths before. And that's what we think. Um, I still get screened from uh, the local medical, you know, treatment facility over here at the local base, you know, our little base that's out here. 
And uh, they're just making sure that like my liver and kidney functions are still good. Uh, had elevated uh, was it ATZ levels and a few other things from the aftermath. As my uh, basically it went through my uh, organs pretty bad, and then they were trying to monitor that. Yeah, going back to the second experience that happened in the ambulance, and it sounded very similar to the first one. Was it almost identical? Like, did you feel like the same people were there? Was the voice the same? So it's like, I know it's going to sound weird, but it's like the same door was there. Like, you know, you have like reality that you and I can see, that we can touch, that we can feel. And this time I went faster. It's like I dropped into it a lot faster. So instead of fading away like I did on the bed the first time, this time it was I felt fine. Everything was hurting. My nerves were definitely being injured and pain I've never felt before. You know, this absolutely horrific pain. I was like basically being slapped down, so to speak, into another reality I almost felt like. Like basically being slapped away from from life. That was that sudden. That was pretty quick. Apparently I was that was uh convulsing. So I'm pretty sure that's uh, the limbs fighting for oxygen again. But this time, you know, I could actually hear the heart monitor and I heard the flat line. I could feel the cold in my chest and I'm all of a sudden, it was like being slapped down. Again, the familiar, I wouldn't say, you couldn't really see them, but they were familiar shapes or shadows of relatives telling me, like I said, no, go back, go back. Then that's when I turned around and, you know, they was told, you know, they were telling me, no, not your time, go back. And I remember I turned, I felt like I turned around and I basically forced myself back. I was angry. That's when I sat up. And the poor kid, the poor paramedic. I find it so fascinating that every NDE is different. I've talked to a number of people who, in a situation sort of similar to yours, they ended up being outside their body and looking down at what was happening with the doctors and the paddles and those kinds of things. But you were, it doesn't sound like that happened to you. Like you were more in your body because you were feeling different things with your body at the same time, right? Sort of. I was in my body, but like the only time I knew that things were bad is whenever I wasn't hurting, but there was no pain. And that's when I, that's when I kind of thought to myself, Oh God, I'm screwed. You know, whenever, and when everything was not hurting and then I'd come back and the, the first time and everything hurt again. And I'm kind of like, you know, there's a saying, if you're uh if you're in an airborne unit in the army, it's that, uh, you know, if you hit, if you hit and everything hurts, that's good. It means you're alive. Like pain is good. That means, you, means you're still alive. Yeah. The second time it was much faster and it felt almost like being slapped down. Like there wasn't the falling away feeling. It was like a, like a sudden slap. And I was, I was gone for a little, for I don't know how long. Were they able to explain to you how your heart restarted? No, and I don't recall when it actually started again. I remember when I sat up, it was it was going, but it was elevated. Yeah. Okay, so physically, what happened to you next? Did they get you to the hospital and then everything was hunky-dory, or what kind of process did you go through? They got me to the hospital, and I remember somewhere in between, I remember they they gave me something where finally everything stopped hurting. And I was in and out of, you know, it's, it's, I had not any sleep. They just, you know, flew on a plane from Colorado to South Carolina that day prior. 
you know, I didn't have any sleep. Uh, I was tired. I remember that, but I kept fading in and out. But at one point I was, I thought I was awake and then I kind of faded out and came back. My wife's there. All right. So tell me what happened when you got to the hospital and how long did it take you to recover? It was pretty quick. Uh, I would say that next morning, probably about, I remember it was like nine or 10, they released me. Well, that seems awfully fast to release you after your heart has stopped just a few hours before. Hey, TRICARE, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, yeah, okay, they only pay, you know, so much. Yeah, we'll just try to get them out of here as fast as possible. They basically told me to follow up with uh, with the where I was living in Colorado with the uh, base clinic that was there. And uh, that's when they started doing the, uh, the liver, the levels, I guess, for like liver function and everything else. I get it done like once a, once a, well, I had it done once a quarter. Now it's uh, once a year is fine. Everything's back to pretty much normal. Was there some damage then up front? Yeah, there was uh, some abnormal levels and I don't remember what all they were. Remember one of them was like ATZ or something like that. ATZ levels were high. Uh, so there was some liver and kidney damage. You know, that was for months, but it kept dropping. It was, it was, you know, progressively going back down. You know, I'm in my early 40s and I still exercise, so recovery is not as slow as a, or it's not as fast as I would have been in my 20s, but it's, you know, it's not as slow as some people of my age. Well, I'm glad you've recovered. How did this affect you mentally, emotionally? Definitely. Yeah, you know, it, you can't, you can't go through something like this and not have, you know, it leave a trace on you. You know, this is one of the, you know, I was expecting, you know, military career, you know, something happens in the military. I wasn't expecting to technically be dead after I retired, but you know, there I was definitely eat better. That's one. Uh, again, the exercising, trying to keep that up a bit, trying to, trying to, you know, walk where I could, you know, instead of drive and that type of stuff, take a bike, uh, more appreciative of everything though. Uh, there is some weird stuff that happens. It's like uh, that feeling of like, you know, when you had your relatives nearby, sometimes I'll know when some, somebody else is there, it's a, or it feels like somebody else is there sometimes. Like, it's just, it, it, it's kind of hard to describe, but it's like, I'm in a room, nobody's in there, but I'm like, but somebody feels like they're there. It just feels more, I don't know, it's a, it's a weird feeling, but it feels familiar from what I went through. I had that happen here when we moved in. Uh, went to go check out my son's room uh, after the family that was here moved out. And not, I mean, nothing happened, but it was felt like somebody was in the room with me. They weren't bad. It was just like felt like somebody else was, was in there, too. I thought that was odd. You know, occasionally you'll feel like, you know, you just walk by somebody and you're like, there's nobody there. Weird stuff like that. Um, another thing is, is that, like I said, I was more appreciative of everything. But that whole feeling of like, you know, there was familiar people there. You get that now whenever you walk around, you know, random places and sometimes you'll pass. It feels like you walk past somebody, but there's nobody there. It's just it's it's weird. I don't know if that was directly related to that or was it, you know, maybe something I don't know. Do you have more fear of death or less fear of death now? Uh, <laughs> I don't want to die like that. Like I was telling you uh, before we started the interview, if I found out I had a terminal condition, would I want to go by hypothermia? Yeah, probably. You know, I wanted, wanted to stay in Colorado and I'll probably make every effort I can to go back. 
but uh, definitely don't want to die of poisoning. As far as death goes, that's not a fear of death. It's more like, I hate to say it, but it's like, you know, it's the end of the day at work and you're trying to get everything done. And you're like, no, I can't leave yet because I have to get stuff done. So it's more like I feel like I've got to do more with my life before I go. You know, basically, I haven't finished my job for the day, so to speak. So I can't go home type of feeling. It's a good way to put it, especially when they told you so specifically to go back. Yeah, well, I was told not my time. Go back. I do remember one thing that was weird. They did say, now I know I have my older daughter there. She's, she's uh, in her in her 20s. So she's older, but I've got younger kids too. I've got a teenage son. I remember specifically being told that he would be lost if uh, if I if I if I went when I was running towards a road. I was told by, by some one of the relatives. I can't remember who was telling me, "No, you know, my son. I'm not going to mention his name. Will be lost if you keep going." And I remember like, okay, you know, obviously he needs a dad, you know, in his teenage years. Yeah, I remember that. But it's just like, like I said, like unfinished business. It happened so fast that it's, it was a flurry of, uh, you know, people yelling and all, you know, like basically like being a kid, you know, you're a two-year-old and you're running, you know, the grocery store, you're running out towards the door of the grocery store or something while your parents are waiting in line type of feeling. Yeah, it was a bunch of people, you know, telling me to go back. Has it affected your belief in an afterlife? Yes, completely. Tell me about that. Like I said, I'm one of those people that unless I actually see it or I can, you know, account for it, I don't believe it. Not so much, you know, oh, okay, oh I read this on a news article, but like, hey, show me the data. Show me, you know, hey, you know, what was your what was your control for this? What was your show me hard numbers? I was a hard numbers type of person. Definitely feels like there's more to it than we think. There's there's more more around this than we're aware of. And like I said, that whole feeling of like I just walks by somebody or somebody's here with me type of thing. It's just you become, I wouldn't say more sensitive to it, but you notice it more. It's like, oh, there's that familiar feeling again. You know, it's like somebody's there. I don't want to say everybody's like, oh, ghosts. And I'm like, well, you know, that might be a possibility at this point. I mean, you can kind of hear like when somebody walks by type of thing, that, that absence of sound for a split second. And you just, you notice it more. It's, it's weird on how that works, but I don't, I don't fear things. I don't, you know, people go into dark, scary places and they're scared. And I'm like, no, I don't have a fear of that anymore. I mean, people, people are, of course, you know, can be, you know, monsters themselves. So I fear people more than I do uh, anything scary. So, that, you know, I could walk through a graveyard in the middle of the night when it's dead quiet and know, okay, well, people here are at least at peace. How many people have you shared this with? Uh, the whole reason I wanted to get it out was to get it out. Uh, my wife doesn't like talking about it. Yeah, just my uh, my uh, I have two sisters and middle sister and a younger sister, uh, both younger than me, and uh, talked to my middle sister about it. And then, of course, my wife, but she's she doesn't like to be reminded of the incident with you know good good reason. You know, she was there watching me die, you know, on the bed. But uh, other than that, that's it. I did I did talk a little bit about it to my son. When he was having having deep depression and was talking about death, and I finally let him know that, hey, you know, for me it was painful. You know, do I want to go like that? No, I don't want to. You know, life is good. <laughs> you know, I want to keep living as long as possible. But I didn't. I didn't go into detail about it. 
I kind of helped him like, okay, well, yeah, there's more to life than just what I'm dealing with as a teenager. I appreciate you trusting us enough to share with us here today. And I, and I hope it's been good for you. I hope it's a little therapeutic in a way. And is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners about this whole thing? Yeah. So it's weird because I was told, you know, not your time yet. Basically, like you've got stuff to do. Uh, exactly one year to the day, I came here to Belgium to work with my current job. Exactly one year to the day. And now I'm here. You know, life's been good since we got here. The school's better. And the job I have is, is absolutely great. It's 100%, you know, hey, it's individual effort. It's a good job. Like I said, it was kind of weird that exactly to one, one day that since the incident happened, I'm here. So if there was something else for you to do and you've already done it, is that a little bit scary? Not really. I, I, think, I think I'll know whenever I think I'll know whenever I'm done. I still feel like there's more to go. I'm sure there is. I'm sure you have a lot more to do. Sounds like you have a great family and a great life over there. So anyway, Pat, thanks so much for being on the show with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the follow or subscribe button and sign up for our newsletter at roundtripdeath.com. If you want to share your near-death experience, Or if you have questions or comments about the show, send an email to eric at roundtripdeath.com. Until then, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. Mm -hmm.